I think it's important that I just bring a message on fasting, and don't switch off from that because we're in the middle of a 10-day fast, but I just thought I'd like to shine some light on it because just hearing what people say and, and knowing the thoughts of some people, you know, I realize that there's a lot of mystery in, in, around fasting, and in fact, it's a scary subject, and yet it shouldn't really be a scary subject at all. We should all just understand it and move on from it, so being... Uh, a pastor, I feel it's just important that I just bring a brief message to just open that out for you and we, as we go through this 10-day fast. You know, when Jesus was first uh, teaching about it, it was actually quite interesting. You know, he was talking about some heavy subjects on, the, uh, on a mountain beside the Sea of Galilee there, and he was really teaching the, the crowd well, but he was going through things like the Beatitudes, and he was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he was uh, telling us that we need to be salt and light. He was looking about some tough subjects like adultery and lustful thoughts, divorce, you know, loving our enemies, believe it or not, you know, turning the other cheek. This is the sort of stuff he was getting into. And then he says, you know, um, a little, start, touched it on subjects like prayer and giving and fasting and the normal aspects. So as we see in this season at the moment, it's a season of fasting because we want to achieve something. And he said in this area, in um, Matthew 6, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your Head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to you, to, sorry, only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus doesn't tell us we must give, we must pray, we must fast. He speaks as if we're doing it anyway. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, there is no compulsion whatsoever. When you bake a fruit cake, cover the tin with brown paper to stop the top from burning. When you buy a car, check the oil, water, and tire pressures regularly. Why? So that the car will last longer. There is no compulsion. We do these things because they are good tips, and the person who told us obviously wants us to succeed. Can you undersee that? Can you see that? That's, the, that's what it was. Just when you fast. Do this. When you pray, do this. When you give, do that. And yet some people see it as, well, he didn't tell us to, so we, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. You know, that's an out for some people, but it's not the case. When you leave the brown paper off the top of the cake tin, when you're baking a fruit cake, you get a black top. That's as simple as that. So what is fasting? Unger's uh, Bible Dictionary explains that the word fast in the Bible is from the Hebrew word sum meaning to cover the mouth, or from the Greek word niestio, meaning to abstain. So Christian fasting basically means temporarily, believe it or not, it's not a life sentence, temporarily denying ourselves food or something else of the flesh in order to better focus on God and his plan for our lives to others. I think when fasting is mentioned, if I'm human and you guys are, you suddenly realize this is going to be painful. All right? This is going to hurt. And so then we duck for cover. Even though nutritionists tell us fasting is good for the body, and I must agree, you can lose weight after a few days. 
Not that anybody in here needs to do that, of course, but you can actually lose weight. That is not the main focus, all right? Yeah. The main focus, of course, is gaining a deeper fellowship with God. And even though some people can't fast food, like diabetics, for example, God knows that everyone can temporarily give up something in order to focus on Him. Even unplugging the television for a period of time can be an effective fast. All right? No TVs found in the Bible, I must admit. All right? But Moses did have two tablets in his life, didn't he? One he broke. And then he went back to the shop and got another one, all right? So we can look at electronic devices where we can say, man, they take up a lot of time. I can just put that down for a while and concentrate on God, all right? So God sees that. When we choose to fast, it's best we work out with the Holy Spirit what is best for us. And then as best as possible, stick to that plan, asking God for his help when things get hard. I found that as a great practice. Okay, the church is calling 10-day fast. You can think, okay, I'm going to go without everything for 10 days. But that's not what God might not be asking to you. He might be asking you to do every second day. He might ask you to do three days in a row. He might ask you, but it's communicating with him and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He might say, fast the whole day and have toast and soup at night. You know, just listen to what he's saying to you, and that's what you do. And then you stick to it. All right? It's not good, no good saying, oh, I can't fast food. I'm just going to fast, let's say, the TV. All right? But, but just talk to God first, and then the God says, fast your TV. Okay, then you put fast TV, or you fast that down, and then you, he helps you to achieve what he's asked you to do. All right? That's the idea of it. Now, people, I probably mentioned it because I'm jumping ahead in my notes, but people come up with all the excuses why they can't fast instead of just coming to the Lord and saying, okay, help me do this. I want to do this with you. If anybody has leaned on us, uh, been gardening, anybody, I find that if you get out there and you're going to turn the garden over, you know, the winter's come through, so you get the spade in there and you start turning it over, five minutes, I'm leaning on my spade, you know, <laughs> you know, and I need some strength to get carry on. It's the determination to get that job done. Well, you just imagine the Israelites who are going into battle, and it says that they they killed 180,000 in one day or something like that. You imagine having a sword killing people for a whole day. Where are you going to get that power from? Well, often they fasted before they went into battle. So even if we say, look, I've got a physical job, I can't really fast, you know, again, we're making excuses for ourselves and, and not actually allowing the Holy Spirit to come in in a very powerful way. Since we started our Thursday prayer meetings here, you know, we have encouraged our congregation to fast on Thursdays. And that can be difficult for a lot of people, but the idea is that you fast and then you come and pray. But I don't mind if you fast at home on a Thursday, not out of religiosity, and you can't get to the prayer meeting, pray at home. Spend some time in prayer at home. And then after the prayer meeting, you can go and have your evening meal. You don't have to make up for breakfast and lunch, but just have an evening meal. All right? Otherwise, you'll find that you'll say, Pastor, it doesn't work. I'm actually putting on weight. All right? So you don't pig out at the end of fasting. Just a little tip there. So fasting takes all shapes and sizes. And not to do it, but there's all sorts of fasting that we do. So we got up there, we got an absolute fast. In, in other words, nothing to eat or drink. That's it. And I know you can die without uh, having water, but you look at Acts 9.9. All right? Anybody done an absolute fast? 
all right? Oh, that's pretty tough, that one. But a normal fast is really only liquids. Um, so that's when we're talking about fasting, that's what we're talking about, normal fast. But there's a partial fast, and that's cutting choice foods out or only fasting part of the day. There's a Daniel's fast, basically only juices and fruit and vegetables. And often God calls, calls people to do a Daniel fast. There's a cleansing process in their body, and they want to do that. Now, some people, when it comes to fasting, their first choice is Daniel fasting, but they're usually people who like vegetables and fruit, all right? All of those who don't like vegetables and fruit don't jump into a Daniel fast. <laughs> that would be punishment. And then, of course, there's devices fast. It wasn't in the Bible, but I can understand how going without something that is keeping you away from God and you fast it is important. And so going without those devices um, is acceptable, especially if you have a medical condition. Now, Dr. Wesley Duell, who gave himself to missions for 75 years, 25 years in India before becoming president of One Mission Society, had a deep love for God's Word and his writings. On, he, he wrote on the Holy Spirit, revival, soul winning, and calling God's people back to prayer. He stated, You and I have no more right to omit fasting because we feel no special emotional prompting, then we have a right to omit prayer. He could see the benefits. He lived for a hundred years, but he could see that what the benefit was through fasting. He said, the great need of our world, our nation, and our churches is people who know how to prevail in prayer. Moments of pious wishes blandly expressed to God once or twice a day will bring little change on earth or among the people. Now, it's interesting there because often we do do those prayers, those pious prayers during the day. We just do it. But that's not to say they're wrong. It's just it says it won't change a nation. We ask that God will look after us. We ask him that he'll look after our family. We ask him to do different things to help us during the day. And that's good. It's a relationship that we have with them. But that sort of praying doesn't change a nation. Kind thoughts expressed to him in five or six sentences after reading a paragraph or two of, of mildly religious sentiments once a day from some devotional writing will not bring the kingdom of God to earth or shake the gates of hell and repel the attacks of the evil one in our culture and in our civilization. Now, that's tough talking. He's not knocking devotionals at all. But you think about your devotional. You think about that. You read that, and you say, this is changing my life. I, I liked what that person said, but it's not the next step of changing a nation, isn't it? You don't go out that door saying, right, I'm on fire to see New Zealand saved. You go out of the door saying, that was nice. I had a great time. All right? What's the next step then to changing a, a nation, you see? And so he's not knocking devotionals, but what he is saying and what James said was, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. You know that verse, don't you? And we don't often get into that fervent prayer where we're determined to see something happened. Something happened. In fact, it's often, often an adversary in our life or something that comes against us, one of our wheels falls off our trolley, where we actually get stuck in to pray. So let's look at some reasons for fasting out of the Scripture. 
To prepare for ministry, Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness fasting and praying before he began his ministry. He needed time alone to prepare for what his father had called him to do. Sometimes we bypass the importance of this. When we read that story, we know it. We know that he went in there and the devil tested him, but we don't look at it at ourselves. maybe, Maybe God could be calling us to do that. Here, if God is preparing and the Holy Spirit took him into the desert, well, why not us? Has he asked us to, to step into the same area? So it's important that we look at Jesus as a role model for our life, and the reason God took him into fasting was that he could have a closer relationship with him, and God hungers for that for you and me. Also, to seek wisdom, Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted for the elders of the churches before committing them to the Lord for his service. It's no good just denying ourselves that if we just deny ourselves food or just deny yourselves the TV, all that is is torture. All right? I'm going to go without food because the church is going without food. That's not the idea at all. All right? That's just torturing yourself. The idea is that we connect with God and partner with Him to make a difference. And this has been a challenge for me this week. When I'm preparing for a message, I, I hardly get anything else done, all right? Because I'm just wanting, I know the Sunday's coming up and I need the message to be finished by Sunday. So I find even this week with fasting, I haven't spent the quality time I would like to with God extra in relation to the fast. So I'm really challenging myself from now on till the end that I actually get that quality time with Him. Otherwise, really, I feel I've wasted my time fasting. I may as well have started today, if you know what I mean. So we need, to, we need to join it with prayer. And it was good to come together with those on Thursday night in the prayer meeting as well, you know, where we come corporately in to pray together. So another area, so we're looking at that, so to prepare for ministry, to seek God's wisdom, and then when troubled by our or someone else's situation. So you see, fasting we see in the Word is not just for us. It is for somebody that we know or a situation that we know. When Nehemiah inquired about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and about Jerusalem, he was told that those who had survived were in great trouble and disgrace and that the Jerusalem wall was broken and the gates burned. Now think to yourself at the moment, can you think of somebody that you know fits into that category? Is there somebody in your family that is in disgrace or great trouble? Are there some walls being burnt down in somebody's life that you know? It could even be your own, all right? Nehemiah was in a good position. He, he had favor with his king. He could have just stayed where he was, but this burned in his life. And he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah wasn't a wimp. He was a strength in that community that he was in. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. You see, here is is a great verse to show where we come into with fasting. We can say, Lord, look, I'm going into town. Can you give me a car park right by the post office? It's raining, you know. 
We can say to the Lord, you know, help the kids with this and do that sort of stuff. But when it comes to seeing change, and he wanted to see change, then he came to a place where he lowered himself, sought God on God's level, and then humbled himself by asking for forgiveness. I think it was great what Joe was sharing. I'm not going to use the language to bring my point, but it was great what she was sharing because sometimes we need to say, join in with that person and say, yes, we've sinned too. We can see a log in somebody else's eye, let's say, but look at the log in our eye and say, God, I'm a sinner too, but I really need, I want to pray for this person. They need help. My children need help. I know they're doing this and they're doing that out in the community, Lord, and, and it doesn't please you, but I'm too, I'm a sinner, but I want to see them set free. So that's sort of the, where we're coming from. So we're not on that pious attitude like the, the Pharisees were. And so fasting helps us to, to connect in that area. Nehemiah felt called to connect with God. He wanted to approach God with the same, the right heart and the right attitude because he knew his people had displeased God. Of course, that's why they were taken into exile. But he could also see he could be part of the answer. So I want to challenge you. Do you have a situation in your life where you believe God is calling you to be part of the answer, but you are not sure how it will go? Do you know someone else who may know God or may not God? But do you have the call to intercede for them? Well, my recommendation is read the book, the beginning at least, of the book of Nehemiah and to see how he did it. And you'll see that God will come in behind you because that's what God wants. That's why he called you into the kingdom to make a difference. And you can make a difference through prayer and fasting. You know, we encourage you to share your faith don't we? We're always encouraging you to share your faith. We're always encouraging you to do, you know, to, to invite people to church. But you can make a difference in your bedroom. You can make a difference in your closet to this community and to your family. Take this on board. You need to grasp this. This is where it's at. So to seek protection or deliverance. Now, Ezra, in the book of Ezra, it says, there by the Ahava Canal... A canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. You need protection or you need deliverance. Fasting can be the key for that. The wealth, this, He was wanting to travel with 7,000 odd people, women and children, through a very inhospitable. In, in his, yeah, okay, it was a dangerous place, all right? They had to go through a dangerous country and from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And he knew that he didn't have an army to do that. He asked the king if he could provide some soldiers to go with them, but he knew where his protection was. And so they traveled through to Jerusalem with no issue. Why? Because they fasted and prayed, and God kept the enemies away. I'll tell you this. The enemy does no, has no right to attack or to get into your life without being given permission. And he can get to permission from two sources. Who's the first one? Exactly, us. We give the enemy permission into our life. The second, actually, the Lord can actually allow the enemy in if we're not listening to him. 
So he only has the authority given to us. Remember, uh, I think when uh, John mentioned about Goliath, you know, Goliath did not have permission to attack those Israelites. He went out there for 40 days. And I think God was wanting somebody to come out of Israel to say, I believe in my God. So yeah, Goliath could have attacked them the first day, second day, 40 days he was out there saying, I'm going to kill you guys, all right? But, of course, we know that David slew him, all right? He, they only have that permission if we give it to them. Remember what the, um, the story of Jesus, it just comes to remind me, there was a boy who was, had convulsions, and um, the father said, look, I brought him to your disciples, and uh, nothing, they couldn't do anything. And uh, afterwards, the disciples said, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said those words, he replied, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. All right? So we take that on board. Okay, that certain things come out with prayer and fasting. But then... Who did the prayer and fasting? Pardon? Exactly. You don't think of that, do you? If that thing only comes out with prayer and fasting, and Jesus was able to kick it out, then who must have done the prayer and fasting? Does anybody get that? So you see, fasting is in the New Testament. We just don't see it all the time. Does somebody you know need deliverance or healing? Try prayer and fasting. I think Christians generally underestimate the, the power of fasting and denying the flesh and the power that has over it. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that the enemy got the people who were worshipping other idols and they were trying to tempt Israel into doing this all the time. They sacrificed their children to get more power. Now, we don't have to do that. Some of you have thought about it, but, you know, it was, God's, <laughs> God actually said, you know, I was surprised that people would do that. But the enemy, to get more power, but what does God ask, God ask us to do to get more power in our prayer? Anybody know? Fasting, the two people at the front. Man, you deserve to be at the front. Come on, some of you at the back need some of these answers. Fasting. Okay, so carrying on with that subject, another area is to repent and be set free. Now, we know that God says he forgives us. Through the cross, we have forgiveness. But James says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When God's hand is against you, it's against you. And it's going to be a tough day. All right. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many people in this room are humble and how many are proud? All right. So we've got a problem if God is coming against us. Noah knew that. All right. And he had a job to do. Lot had a, a problem as well and Sodom was destroyed. And then let's look at Jonah who was in, in the same boat, you might say. God told Jonah to go and preach against the city of Nineveh because its wickedness had come to his attention, and so he eventually arrived and set about proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed or overturned. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. 
How many of you have done that? I haven't done that. All right? We ha I haven't humbled myself to that extent. That's the king. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. Since Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have now complete forgiveness for all our sin. But sometimes we need to break habitual sin, even generational sin, and so humbling ourselves before God, as James said, all right, His grace, His grace is sufficient for us. You may not have done anything really bad, but on the other hand, you may feel you are caught in a snare, something you can't release yourself from. All right, this story helps you. If you're p continuing sinning in one area, you know God forgives you, but you just keep doing it. You keep getting back into the same puddle. You know, prayer and fasting, when you humble yourself, God can set you free. Because at the next verse for Jonah, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. All right? They were set free as a town because they humbled themselves. And then just uh, a couple of other things to gain victory, winning our battles. You know, the Israelites lost in one battle, in one night, they lost 22,000 men. This was unheard of. The Israelites didn't lose 36 men. All right, but they lost 20,000 men when they came against the Benjamites. And they believed they'd heard God's voice to go and fight for them. So they inquired of the Lord, and they felt, yes, go back into battle. Next battle, next day, they lost 18,000 men. So that's 40,000 men they had lost in two days. So what did they do? They went into, guess it, prayer and fasting. All right? Then the Israelites, all the people, went to Bethel. And there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Shall we go up again to battle with Benjamin, our brother, or not? The Lord responded, Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. There was a humbling process. So here, again, gives weight to these people who say, I, don't, I need the energy to carry on in my day. I can't do without food. Here they had spent two days in battle. Now, that's hard work. Then they spend that day fasting, and then they're going back into battle again. So that allows for the supernatural power to come through you. So when you're fasting, that's what you want. You want the supernatural power of God to help you to do what he's asked you to do. That's why I say at the beginning, ask the Lord what he wants you to do, and then let the power of God come through. So you don't have to be afraid of it. That's not to say somebody won't turn up, your place, turn up at your place or turn up at your work with donuts. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be tempted, you know. You're going to go out, believe it or not, after church, you're going to go out there, there's going to be a table full of food. What are you going to do? Somebody would say, be rude not to eat it. But if you've told the Lord that you're fasting on Sunday after church, 
it's just carrying on with what God has asked you to do. I think that's really important. And then just the, one of the last areas I want to say is to worship God, all right? There's not all pain. It's not all for punishment at all. It's not all for that area. We can come into a place of worship through our fasting. If we look at um, what the Lord said in Zechariah, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. All right, there was a place where they rejoiced in those festivals. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when mentoring Fastering, when he's mentioning fastering, he says, such customs have only one purpose, to make the disciples more ready and, believe it or not, and cheerful to accomplish those things which God would have them do. So in other words, fasting actually prepares us to cheerfully go into what God is actually asking us to do. So again, another important area. So what hinders Christians from fasting? What stops you and me from fasting? It's got to be the first number one thing is what? The love of food. <laughs> it's got to be. We like food. We just got used to it. We love it. All right? And it's usually that pull on our, on our, on our stomachs, you know, and our, our taste buds. And, you know, Celine can eat a, a plate full of cabbage, boiled cabbage. I don't think she's got any taste buds, you know? Who could do that? She could eat cat food, I'm sure. <laughs> but I like those things that are like batter around fish and uh, all those unhealthy things. If it's unhealthy, I love it. Silly <laughs> and doing a Daniel fast, you know, no sweat. Broccoli, raw, whatever. All right? But food is something that just draws us each. We're all different, and it pulls us, and it stops us. The lack of discipline, of course. Christian discipline is spending quality time. You know yourself. You can think to yourself, how much time have I spent with the Lord even without fasting, you know, this week? How much time did I spend in prayer or reading the Bible? So, you know, discipline is another area that can let us down. And then fear. Instead of looking to the Lord's strength for help, you know, we look to our own weaknesses and, and our headaches and what's, what's going to happen if I'm not having that coffee? You know, I'm going to be miserable. The family are going to suffer, you know, if I don't get my early morning coffee or whatever. And then, of course, ignorance. Some churches don't encourage or teach on the subject, so it becomes a mystery. Fortunately, for us at Church Unlimited, Pastor Tark is not like this, right? Fasting is an important part of who we are and how much ground we have taken, and I remember going to a function that I was invited to as a pastor. There were other pastors there, and there was a lot of food there, and this overweight uh, pastor who belonged to one of the island nations, you know, he had a huge sort of tummy, and he said to me, you know, this is the trouble with being a pastor, you know, as he's leaning over the table. I said, you want to jo join Church Unlimited? I said, this is what you look like. <laughs> we're a fasting church. <laughs> Couldn't resist. I wasn't fasting that day. <laughs> All right. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, was a firm believer in the power of uh, prayer and fasting. You know, and he said that we need to have self-denial. Fasting is self-denial, and it's important that we understand that. That's, of course. 
but there are so many benefits through that. Um, John uh, Stephen Piper, founder and teacher of DesiringGod.org and count, chancellor, sorry, of Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, says, the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. Very interesting. Absence of fasting, absence of Christ. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world, our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And that challenges me. I hope it challenges you as well, but that challenges me. Have I just nibbled at the small things and been... That's a, you know, you get a smorgasbord where you can have a bit of this and a bit of that, and you get it on your plate and it looks like that, and you go back to your table, all small things. And yet, you know, we miss out on the greatness of God, and I don't want to miss out on that. 